by Passion Church, the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. All right, so this is my first time uh, doing a Wednesday night service, and um, I'm very honored that Pastor Guy asked me to share uh, I'd say the eye of the storm, that was a good one. He picked that song. I didn't pick that song. He picked that song. I'm glad he did because you may feel like you're in the eye of the storm with this message, but Jesus can help you. He's always there. Uh, And Pastor Guy asked me, and um, he trusts me. He didn't even ask me. He he didn't ask me what I was going to speak on. I said, well, I can get my notes to you. I can can show you what I'm going to speak on. He said, no. No, that's okay. You got it. It's, It's good. It's good. He trusts me. And uh, he knows that I love the Lord, he knows that I love you, and he knows I have a healthy fear of the Lord. So, um, it's going to be okay. Uh, and if I say anything too hard, he and Miss Andrew, they'll be back soon, so they can love on you. And uh, he can correct me if I'm wrong, and then there's tissues at the end of the row, so y'all can... Y'all can so, <laughs> alright, he asked me a few weeks ago to get this message together. And um, a few days later, I was looking at something, I'm not really sure, maybe Facebook, and um, I saw something, and I was drawn to this book by John Bevere, and, um, and I've been reading it. And I don't have my Bible up here, but I have my scriptures, and there's lots of scriptures, so don't worry, I'm not putting this above the Bible, but I have two books up here. But um, I, I went, and I got this, I saw this, Driven by Eternity, and uh, I went and got it. And I started reading it, and uh, I realized it's actually a 10th anniversary of this book. It was written 10 years ago, and I think actually a friend of mine gave it to me to read, and I I didn't read it. Uh, I started to read it, but I didn't. But this time, it's different, and I got it. And and you can ask Bill. I've even gone out to him, and and usually if I get a book like this, I I have good intentions, and I want to read it, but, you know, I don't ever get around to reading it. This book I have not been able to put down. It's full of scriptures. It's got boards by everybody you can imagine, Joyce Meyer, lots of people that you know. Um, it's got examples from um, Brother Hagen in there, and Kenneth e. Hagen, and um, it gripped me. And I even went out to him maybe three or four times, and I said, this book, it's, it's changing me. And it's the word. It was the word in there. And the revelation that John Bevere had gotten and shared that, that gripped me. And I said, you know, it's, it's changing my life. And, um, and so, and I even told Zoe, I said, you have to read this book. You have to read this book. So, you know, and I would be, I would just want to come home and I would, I would go in my room and I'd read it. And then I would do this. I would read something and I would be like this. Because it just has touched me, and it's, it has changed me. So, um, it's a very important message, and um, so, it, in fact, it's, it's on something, it's about eternity, and it, it's something that Pastor Guy's even been talking about, so I thought, he's going to steal the message, so, but he didn't, 
And uh, so it's about being, it's about eternity and being eternity-minded, okay? So uh, eternity is a concept that's foreign to our minds. Um, you know, it's, it's like, it's mind-blowing, honestly. Um, sometimes even when I think about it, when I start thinking about eternity, I start getting anxious a little bit. I don't know if anyone else has ever felt that way, but it's like in my mind, I can't wrap my head around it. You know, I can't, I can't fathom that. I can't see that. I can't, it doesn't make sense to me. So in my mind, you know, I get nervous about it. I get anxious. I can't grasp it. It doesn't compute and it doesn't make any sense. The Bible says in Job 36, 26, and we're going to have a lot of scriptures, that um, no one can begin to understand eternity. I think she's going to put those up there. But anyway, so the Bible even says in Job 36, 26, that no one can begin to understand eternity. When we try to think that big, we might think of things like the galaxies and, you know, you know how little we are, our Earth. If you look at some of those science, you know, videos, you'll see, that, you know, you are here and this is the Earth and, you know, these are all the planets in between the Earth and the Sun and here's the Sun and then, you know, you go out and you go out and you go out and it's, you know, you're 10 billion light years, you know, away. You know, there's just, just vast expanse. Um, and we think of things like that, the galaxies that go on for light years. Or we can mentally assent to the fact that God is an eternal being. Uh, Exodus 15, 18 says that the Lord shall reign to eternity and beyond. That sounds familiar. Buzz Lightyear totally stole that. <laughs> but can you really imagine yourself being around in 10,000 years? 10 million years? 10 billion years, and that's not even the beginning of eternity. But the Bible tells us that we will be. We will all be here. The concept of eternity is foreign to our minds, but Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us where God put eternity. And God put eternity. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So that's where we can connect to the concept of eternity and get understanding. It's in our hearts. So it's not in our minds. We can't grasp it. We can't wrap our heads around it. But instinctively we know that it's real because it's in our hearts. He said it in our hearts. And so this is where we are born again in our hearts. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. We know this. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All right? So we know that. We know that's where we're saved, is in our hearts. So that's where we understand eternity. But John Bevere talks about the fact that the fool has said in his heart that there's no God. That's Psalm 14.1. So he starts talking about eternity and, and different things about eternity. He says that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And that's a big deal. Why? Because if you believe and truly believe there's no God, then there's no way for you to be born again. And he also talks about someone who's an atheist. And some people, you know, you might know somebody and they say, I'm an atheist. But everybody says, well, nobody's an atheist when they get ready to die. You know, because um, 
they think that they don't believe that there's a God, but in their heart they really know that there is one. And so when they get to that part of their life that they really, really need him, even though they've professed their whole life, many of them, some of them not, that they've professed their whole life, they come to their deathbeds, they come to know the Lord. So they'll never give up on anyone who says they don't believe because you have to know if they believe in their heart. Okay, so give everyone, nobody is a lost cause. So God is eternal and we are eternal. And if we are born again, we're going to live in heaven with him for eternity. And his word is eternal. We know all these things. His word is eternal. So you may be thinking, well, okay, great. This is all, you know, happy, happy thoughts, you know, butterflies and ice cream. What's the serious part? Well, because his word is eternal, it's all true. Therefore, everything in the Bible, it is going to happen. And John Bevere asked this question. Do you read what you believe, or do you believe what you read? In other words, do we pick out parts of the Bible that we like and focus on that, or do we read the entire counsel of the Word of God? And if we read the, every part of the Word of God, why are we not acting like it? Please fasten your seatbelts at this time. The Bible states that we will all have to face a judgment seat. Whether it be the great right throne judgment for non-believers, you don't want to be in that one, or the judgment seat of Christ. For those who've made Jesus their Lord, that's the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? And I'm not a biblical scholar. I'm not going to teach on these, these things. Um, my whole goal here tonight is to get us to be eternity-minded, is to be thinking about eternity, okay? And so, you know, I'm not going to try to explain what's the difference between the great right throne judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, and all that. But, um, you know, maybe sometime we'll get Gary. Gary Wilson likes to talk about that. Or there are many, many ministers who, who study that. Um, but uh, we're going to talk about a part of eternity. So Romans 14, 10 and 12 Put that up. Okay, 14.10. says, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. You might say, I thought the Bible said if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And it does say that. Does say that. That's in 1 John 1 9. Also in Psalms 103.12 it says, He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. And it says that. It does say that. And this is all true. God devised a plan to reconcile us back to himself. And why did he do that? Because of his great love for us and his desire to be with us, to be truly, have a truly intimate relationship with us. But once we're born again, then what? He can't allow us to be like unruly children and still inherit eternal life. He told me to keep this message positive, so I'm going to do that. And I believe that's because he knows us. He knows us in this room. Um, he knows we love him. But the Bible is very clear about those who do not accept the gift of his son, Jesus. There will be a place of eternal judgment where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and a lake of fire. 
It's also clear that not everyone who thinks they are saved will enter the kingdom of heaven. These are tough words. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, you can put that up there, states, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This clearly proves that we will all stand before him. He said, not everyone who stands before me, which means that some that stand before him will enter into his kingdom. We're hoping to be in that group. Remember, though, do you read what you believe or do you believe what you read? So we have to believe the entire word of God. So what happens, so, you know, God's our father and he has to teach us. So what happens when our own children rebel? Well, if we love them, we discipline them and wait for them to return to their senses. And I have a little example. One of my children may or may not be a, a girl. She may or may not look just like me. Drive a purple Jeep. She may or may not be sitting right there. But, um, you know, when your children are small, and you know, you know every little thing they're doing, and then they start to grow up, and you, of course, you know, ask the questions, where are you going, what time will you be home, who are you with, and then there comes this point where you start to trust your children a little bit, and they have their own purple Jeep, and they, they drive, and they say, well, I'm going with some friends, and you say, who's going, who's driving, which car are you taking? All these questions that you think you're supposed to ask. And then she says, um, uh, well, you know, it was Zoe. And she said, well, um, we're going to get something to eat. I'm going to get something to eat with my friends. And, you know, and I, said, I didn't ask that one time. I didn't ask exactly where she's going. So a couple days later, when her guard's down, she's talking. And she's talking about that. She went and they got some hot wings. Well, she had told me that. She said, I'm going with my friends, here's my friends, this is what time, this is what time we're going, Who this is who's driving, and we're going to get some hot wings. And I said, okay. Well, I didn't say which hot wings place, exactly which one, which I always do. I don't know why. So a couple days later, she's talking, and, and then we realize that she's not talking about it anywhere in, in this area. She's talking about somewhere in Memphis. And she's not only talking about somewhere in Memphis, she's talking about somewhere that she had to drive through a really bad area of town to get to that spot in Memphis. And so um, we calmly, calmly looked at each other. <laughs> and so I said, I, I, I don't think I know that Hot Wings place. I, there, there's not one of those in this area. She goes, no, no, it, it, was, it was over here. And I said, okay, but... But I, that's a bad area of town. And when you went that to there, you had to go through here, and that's a bad area of town. She says, it's okay. Um, his parents own that place. I said, it doesn't matter who owns it or what. It's where it is. And you're actually in a place where you're not supposed to be. So that's the most important thing is that you're going against what your parents have told you. And so we had a discussion. 
And, uh, and so we had to establish the boundary of where the, the purple Jeep could cross over and what constituted being in Memphis versus not being in Memphis. And so we said, if you drive into Memphis, you're not following our rules. And, and we said, no, as a matter of fact, if your tires cross over the first part of State Line Road, you are therefore in Memphis and you are not obeying what we're doing. No, no, if the front part of your bumper, no, if there's like a gnat on the front part of your bumper and it's close to State Line Road, you are disobeying your parents and you are therefore in Memphis. If you even think about going into, so we, we had to get an understanding. We, we did get an understanding. But, uh, you know, if she even thinks in her head that she's going to be going into Memphis, then, then she's in disobedience because she hasn't told us. So, so we had an understanding, right? We had to get an understanding. So we did. And uh, that's how God deals with us. He loves us, you know. And uh, he can't wait to spend eternity with us. He's so excited to spend eternity with us. But he is holy and he is just. And he cannot allow iniquity and sin to have any part of heaven. So we've got to change some of the things that we're doing, okay? So in this book, he uses an allegory. He talks about... um, a fictitious kingdom, and it's called Affabel, like affable. And it's ruled by a righteous king. And the characters' uh, names represent how they have lived their lives. And main characters are independent, deceived, faint heart, selfish, and charity. And these are the characters that live in the fictitious kingdom with the king. And it relates in there how they live and what happens when they get confronted by others such as double life, slander, ruthless. So these are other characters. And their choices in life are explained. And they all must stand before the Lord in one of two judgments. The interesting thing is, though, that the outcomes are not what you would think. Is that some of the ones whose name might have meant something that you would think, oh, they're surely going to get into heaven. Well, they encountered something in their life that changed them, and they didn't keep Jesus first. And so it gives us, and it also it gives us a, a, a little bit of a glimpse into things that we go through and how we allow things to change our uh, commitment to the Lord. And things like unforgiveness and, and things that come against us, lies that come against us or different things, you know, how that we can allow that to change really who we are. And it gives us a glimpse um, of what it's like going to be like in heaven. That's not the entire book, but that's part of it. So did you know that there will be job assignments and um, assignments and jobs in heaven? Anybody ever think about that and know about that? Never heard about that? It's in the Bible. We're going to get back to this, but 
the way we treat others on earth directly affects whether or not we enter into heaven at all and what our assignments will be for all eternity. We must be eternity-minded. We've got to be thinking about these things. Remember the ones that the Lord said, that said, Lord, Lord, but he said he never knew them. And they were prophesying in his name. So, this is very important. Eternity. And this life is so short. And what this is like, it's like saying, in the span of eternity, my life here on earth, I might live 70 years, I might live 80, 120, you know, up to 120 years. That what we do here is going to determine things in for all of eternity. And uh, it's like saying what you did for the last 24 hours is going to determine the rest of your whole entire life. That only what you did in this short period of time, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, a reflection of your entire life. Would your attitudes and actions be different if that were the case? And I did say attitudes. Let's look at Hebrews 4.12. <clears throat> it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God, that's Jesus. Jesus knows our thoughts and intents of our heart. Jeremiah 17.10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. So that should make us want to purify ourselves daily. And if that doesn't, I don't know what will. Maybe this will speak to us. Matthew 12.37. It says, for by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. So, we will give an account for every word. Let me say it like this. Every word of every conversation. 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 <laughs> so everything we say. And this would include everything we do, everything we say, everything we think. He, he knows it all. And you know what? This also includes, includes emojis. Includes mm -hmm. yeah. emojis. So if you're sending out, and I think Chad might do this, that little gremlin, the little, you know what I'm talking about, the little gremlin, you need to examine your heart. <laughs> if you're sending that out, and, uh, and the chocolate pudding, you know the chocolate pudding with the cute little face, the chocolate pudding? I don't care what someone has done, they don't deserve the chocolate pudding. Nobody deserves the chocolate pudding. 
But <laughs> all right. But I'm very blessed by God um, with my husband, and um, I'm actually very serious. I got a revelation while I was putting this message together that God gave him to me for some for a reason. <laughs> yeah. And that reason is seriously. I tend to be a little too serious. And uh he keeps me laughing when I allow him to. And uh so I realized I need to loosen up a little bit. But um, he has discovered that he can send me these little video texts. Now, it's not just texting, it's not just emojis, but now he can send me little video texts. And so, you know, I'll be saying, the little memes, is that what it's called, the memes? Okay. So when I say something like, honey, do you want fish for dinner? Then he'll send me to the guy that goes, no, baby, no, 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 no. So I get a little video. And... Um, and he sends me, and they're funny, they're funny. But anyway, I'm very blessed that he keeps me laughing. Um, but back to the words and intents of our heart. Um, I don't think I've ever taken that that seriously. I don't think I have pondered it enough or contemplated it that thoughtfully. But the Bible says in 1 John 3, 3, all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. And we need to be eternity-minded. We need to think about these things. All right, so let's talk about grace for a few moments. When I was, when I was um, getting this message together, um, the Lord gave me something about grace. A lot of times we like to say, use grace. And um, the Lord said this, grace is given as an endowment to succeed, not a blanket to cover over sin or a get-out-of-jail-free card. So it's an endowment to succeed. So an endowment is a quality or ability possessed or inherited. Some of the synonyms are, of an endowment are um, an ability, a talent, a strength, an aptitude, a capability, or a capacity. Let's try that out. So, grace is a capacity to succeed. It's a capability to succeed. It's an aptitude, a strength, an ability to succeed. Grace, God's grace, gives us the ability to succeed. A financial endowment, sometimes we think about that as where, you know, people are given money. And they um, leave some money to somebody and... Um, the people use it, and they use it to succeed in life. They, they take the money that was given to them, and they use it, and they invest it, and they do everything, and they use it to succeed in life. So God's grace helps us to do the things that he wants us to do and to achieve the goals that he wants us to achieve. In Acts 6, 8, the Bible speaks about Stephen. Stephen was a man full of God's grace and power, and he, because of this, he performed great signs and wonders among the people. In Ephesians 4, 7, we see that an assurance that to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So we all have grace, and we can use it. 
And of course, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. However, let's go back to what the Lord said. Grace is given as an endowment to succeed, not a blanket to cover over sin or a get-out-of-jail-free card. However, some people use grace as a blanket to cover over ugly things in their life, like sin. Think about a child, like if they've done something wrong, you know, um, they spilled something, they spilled their milk, and, or they, you know, did something. What do they do? They see their blanket? They're going to cover it over, right? So they're going to they're gonna take it and they're going to try to cover it over so that no one can see their mess, so that mama can't see their mess. Or when someone dies, what do they do? They cover them up with a sheet or a blanket. But we cannot use grace to cover over dead things in our life. All right, so let's talk about something positive. Let's talk about the assignments and jobs in heaven. How many of y'all knew that that was part of heaven? Not very many. <clears throat> in this book, he talks about um, rewards being handed out at the uh, judgment seat of Christ. And all of our deeds and the attitudes and the intentions behind them will be played before the king. One character, he was a high-ranking public official. He would think he was the mayor in the fictitious kingdom. He was shown the things he did, but when he saw them, they were more for his personal gain. You know, he gave to charity. He wanted to do things like that, but he didn't really do them because he cared about the cause. He did them because of personal gains or so that he would gain more votes you know, in the coming election. And so uh, he did it also to be accepted by others. And he did that more for those reasons than the good of other people. So when he went before the king, and we know that when we go before Jesus, those things aren't going to matter. They're just going to burn up. And um, his deeds counted for nothing, many of them. But he still made it into heaven, so that's good. That's what, the main thing. But he was given a position, but it wasn't in the main part where the king lived. And so the position he was given was like a gardener's position outside the outer area of the city. So his job for all of eternity, based on what he had done, was going to be to tend the gardens um, outside of the city, but not in the city where the king is. We know the king is Jesus. Um, and so he got some, but then there was another character who was highly rewarded even though, by all of man's estimation, they didn't do anything much. You know, they were a secretary or something like that. And maybe they smiled at people. They, um, you know, opened the door for someone. But they did things that the Lord told them to do, and they had a right heart and a right attitude. Well, that person in here, in this character, was rewarded highly. And, in fact, was given authority over 20 cities and the king changed her name to overcomer so things that she had done in life 
because she did it for the glory of God, although it seemed insignificant to other people, they even looked down on her, you know, I was the mayor, and, you know, surely I will have rewards. But because his attitude was wrong, he made it to heaven, which, thank you, Jesus. We want to make it to heaven above all else. But yet, for all of eternity, he's not really close to the king. And so it reminds me of Matthew twenty sixteen. Does anybody know what that says? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Right? <clears throat> when my mom died um, 16 years ago, she died in 2000, somebody gave me this book here, Within the Gates. And John Bevere references this book in this book. And um, so I've had this copy about 16 years. And when you look in the front part, it says that it was written like 70 years before the publishing. And I don't even know. I don't even see the publishing date on here. So it's probably about 100, almost 100 years old. <clears throat> and in it, um, she was caught up to heaven. She was sick. And she probably went into something like a coma. But at that time, there weren't, you know, great hospitals or anything. And so she had an extended illness. And she slipped away, and she was in a coma, and um, she went to heaven. Has anyone read this book? <clears throat> and so uh, she went to heaven, and she talks about how beautiful it is, and other people have gone to heaven and come back, and some people believe that and some people don't. Um, but she went to heaven, and she got to see her mansion. She got to see, of course, people that had died before her. And, um, you know, she talks about, of course, how beautiful it is and how you wouldn't want to come back and all that. And, um, and then she got to see her brother-in-law, who had already died, and she was escorted around by her brother-in-law. And um, one thing was that when she was in her mansion, there was a big reading room, and it was exactly as, if, as she loved it. You know, it's just like all of her desires you know, we're in this, this mansion. And there was a reading room, and it was just full of books. And, um, and so she asked her brother-in-law if any of them were books that we had down here. And he said, yes. He said, some of the books that we have down here are actually up there. And I thought that was interesting. But, um, but the best part was when she got to see Jesus, of course. And she called him the master. And she said that her brother-in-law, he had to go for a time because he had a very important job that he did for the master. So there are several places where it talks about things that we're going to be doing in heaven, you know. Um, and again, I'm not an end-time, you know, teacher or expert or authority, but there's a lot of things that are going to happen. And... <clears throat> You know, we want to be right with him at all times because I don't know about you, but I want to be close to the master. <laughs> you know, I want to be close. I want to be, up, I want to be able to see him uh, all the time. And, um, of course, it's heaven. It's going to be wonderful. But, you know, I want to be doing something for him that um, is worthwhile, that I'll, that I'll really enjoy. So is this in the Bible or am I just making this up? Is this just some crazy book? 
Uh, yes, it is, and it's referred to um, several places. One place is in Luke 19.17, and it's uh, the parable of the minas, and I don't know what a mina is, but um, a nobleman, there was a nobleman, and he had ten servants, and they were all given these minas. And uh, one, when the nobleman returned, one had earned ten, one had earned five, and one had earned ten. And um, the one that had earned ten was um, given authority in ten cities. Okay, so that's sort of a um, it's a reference to that there might be things in heaven. Y'all are all looking at me like I'm crazy, but it's all in there. <laughs> Um, also, in Revelation 2, 26 through 27, it says, To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. Now, you might say, well, the one that's ruling with an iron scepter, that's Jesus. No, it can't be because he says, I have received authority just as I have received authority from my Father. So it's not him. Well, who is it? It could be us. So we need to be eternity-minded all the time. And I'm going to close with this. With Zoe again. Zoe likes to say that I'm so extra. And she doesn't mean it in a good way. She goes, you're so extra. You're just so extra, Mom. Which means I, I do too much. I want to do too much. Or whatever she means. But you know what? I actually kind of like it. Because guess who else is extra? The Lord. The Lord is, is extremely extra. He wants to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That's Ephesians 3.20. So he loves us. He cares about us. I hope I've provoked you. I was exhorting you tonight, provoked you to think that there might be something that you haven't thought about and to um, remind us that, you know, this isn't just about, you know, getting up, going to work, you know, that's not what life is about. Life is about finding our place and our calling and getting right in the middle of his will for us. Um, I don't know about you, but I just want to be with him, and I want to do what he wants me to do. And, and I don't want to be sorry when I get to heaven, you know. So I hope that I've, you know, made you think a little bit that, Maybe I don't, maybe I haven't written, maybe I need to dig in my Bible. Maybe I need to, you know, talk to the Holy Spirit and ask. And, you know, if you ask him what your, what your place is, he, he'll tell you. You know, he'll talk to you, and he'll tell you. So, let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time with these people that you love, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, that, Lord, you have um, provoked us to thought, Lord God, and you have um, caused us to turn our attention more towards you, Lord God, um, and that you have um, caused us by your Holy Spirit to desire the 
things of you. Lord, Holy, Holy Spirit, please help us to take your things seriously and to um, be serious about your things. I thank you, Lord, that you're going to illuminate the word to us and you're going to show us um, the things that you have for us and for this church, Lord. And I just, just pray that we all come to know you even in a closer way in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.